man of will breaks all boundaries. As above, so below. Magic of come to realize is a new way of seeing our own world. Something divine truly does exist. You're listening to the Culture Shock podcast with your host, Dave Escuro. Um, but you brought up something, Jason, that I, I, you know, we ended the last segment with a, a quote, Sorry. and I think that we should open the current conversation with a manifesto of sorts, because I think that these are interlocked subjects, which is the society, the spectacle, and how the spectacle engulfs everything, including spirituality and certainly art. And there's a, there's a, you sent me, um, uh, a writings of a of a band that we both really really like and respect when they broke up initially and sort of highlighted why they were oh, breaking Creed? up and yeah yeah <laughs> so jason if you could if you could read the lyrics to um arms right open <laughs> if you could for everyone else. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna do it um no, no what is it you actually want though <laughs> uh, this is the <laughs> It's not Creed. It's not Creed. Uh, refuses manifesto when when they released their um, uh, what was it, the Shape of Punk to come, and the it, right ahead of uh, Refused or Dead. Oh, it's kind of long. You wanted me to read the whole thing? Uh sure. Or pick the pieces you like the best. Oh shit! All right, well, uh, play the inter play the intermission music really quick because I forgot to pull it up. Okay, yeah, you don't want me to read this. This is like eight paragraphs. Okay, well, explain to explain to the listeners what we're talking about in in regards to who were refused and why were refused fucking dead, and are they actually dead? Yes. Well. What? Well, here, let's, I'll, I'll read this section of this. So, refused for those of you, of you who do not know, refused were a post-hardcore band that sort of, um, I would say, in terms of mainstream commercial success, peaked in 1998 with a very revolutionary album, The Shape of Punk to Come. It is disjointed, noisy, but at times melodic, and really and truthfully, unlike anything else I'd really had heard in, 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 any, in any way that I cared about. Like, you know, you could look at a band like Dinger Escape Plan and be like, oh, they're super weird, or like, I don't know, Jethro Troll or something, or Yes, or some weird band, and, and those didn't really have much meaning to me but refused and their sound in particular and their lyrics and their presentation everything about them just felt very unique and it really did feel like it was opening a brand new chapter in rock music right for lack of a better term but after the shape of punk to come they broke up and in breaking up they released their final press release and i'm just going to read a section of it um, so why does Refuse have to die to be able to rise from the ashes like a phoenix? Is it impossible to take part of a revolutionary program when every aspect of existence has to be projected as entertainment and music, a tradition that both in expression and creation has been dead for far too long? We are hoping that we could be the final nail in the coffin of the rotten cadaver that is popular music, but unfortunately, the ratification was too big for us to succeed with our feeble attempts to detour this boring discourse. With every expression, no matter how radical it is, can be transformed into a commodity 
and bought or sold like cheap soda. How is it in, how is it possible then possible that you're going to be able to take art seriously when every political idea has become safe and categorized just so that it can be defined by a disgusting journalist who only aims whose only aim is selling the issues and cashing in the paychecks? How can we then show the seriousness of the situation? And it goes on from there. Um, I think what they were attempting to do was was as this the name of this podcast would allude to, they were attempting to be part of some sort of counterculture. Um, they were attempting to disrupt the status quo. And I find it really interesting that at the end of it, it says refused is dead and will never get back together. Hmm. Which, of <laughs> course, they did. <laughs> Fucking poses. <laughs> <laughs> So not punk. <laughs> right. So this passage here, I'm reading it now. I'm looking. I finally found that part. <laughs> when every expression, no matter how radical it is, can be bought, can be transformed into a commodity and be bought or sold like cheap soda, how is it then possible that you are going to take art, and they put art in quotations, seriously? And uh, I think that is basically the the essence of the question that they're that they're asking at the time is. How can you take art seriously? Which is to say, how can you take the expression of sentiment um, seriously as something which can uplift the soul in the way that like Beethoven considered himself to be writing music that was divinely inspired and that speaks to people and imparts a sense of the spirit of the age. Like when you listen to his Ninth Symphony and especially the refrain that was mostly familiar to us as Ode to Joy, what you hear is the French Revolution. You hear the armies of uh, the Republic of soldiers, which don't have to be kept in line and kept from running away because they weren't pressed into service by their Lord to fight, to expand their Lord's lands. They're, they're fighting for their constitution, for the rights of man and citizen. They're fighting for the universal brotherhood of all peoples. And you can hear that in Beethoven's music and the spirit of the age is marching along. So just as Schiller is a poet who gives uh, a voice to it and Beethoven is a musician who gives a sound to it and Robespierre is a politician who is crafting the world in his hands because he embodies the, the the march of history and the general will of human beings that's what they mean when they say art and if all of that is for sale how can you take that seriously as a project and I honestly think they're right to ask the question that's not to say don't listen to music that no image is beautiful, that you can't appreciate that which is beautiful in life, that human beings can no longer create, because obviously we can. That's innate to us. But the idea that an art movement can inspire people to change the world when the whole purpose of, the whole functioning of things today is to take all that creativity and sap it from people so that it doesn't change the world. It is at least a good and honest question, and it's not just cynicism. I think no, breaking up no, the band was, was really, it was an admission of defeat because what they said was, okay, we want to, you know, we want to change the world. We're going to overthrow the system that commodifies our desires and, uh, and crafts our desires for us. And then they said, fuck, this isn't how we're going to do it. Later they came back and just played music because they want to play music. And, but I think that the time in between their conception of what they were doing had to have changed. But I think there's an inherent danger with it, right? Because I'm not against, I'm, I'm not suggesting, certainly within the context of the, of the society that we currently live in and, and the means to survive it in any meaningful way, that you can't sell art. I'm not suggesting that at all. I think you have to survive in the manner in which you're capable of surviving. And certainly if you're fortunate enough to be able to survive late stage, late stage capitalism by 
doing what you love, then do that. But I do think it does become a dangerous proposition as to can you, the moment something leaves a very close circle, can it still be effective or does it inherently lose all of its effectiveness? Uh, you know, there's a, a, the shirt that I'm wearing has a sigil on it. It's part of a project to share sigils that were made by a magician to different folks to do with it what they will and be that make a shirt, be that make a, uh, a video, make that be that a song, whatever it may be, whatever they want to do with this imagery, they're free to do so, right? It's theirs now to own, it is there now to share. But you have to wonder at a certain point, like I, I, and I'm guilty of this too, like you see the newest wand or you see the newest robe or you see the newest this or that or the other. The newest, um, uh, the Nimbus 2000. <laughs> Yeah, totally. You know, you're, you're, everyone's got their own source of making spirituality a commodity, which, again, I'm not against them as an individual because that's awesome. I wish that I could make a living solely or live solely on doing stuff that I loved. I think that's a luxury that many people don't have. But does it just fall in danger of losing any of its any of its core substance? I mean, I think you and I might have op- uh, very different positions on this. I think yes, I think it does. Yeah, I don't think I'm. I don't think I disagree wholly. I, I think I'm, it bums me out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's you an know? important part of it, right? So, yeah. like, there's this guy that uh, people like for some reason because he takes uh, vaguely Soviet-esque propaganda-style imagery, and he well whatever he sells t-shirts and paints murals his name is shepherd fairy and mm-hmm. he said that art and commerce not only are compatible but they need each other and to me that is one of the most horrifying things i've ever heard mostly because i don't think commerce is good i mean obviously we <laughs> and i think art is good at least the concept of art is good uh and that doesn't mean people shouldn't go into business it doesn't mean people shouldn't uh whatever you know we live in it we live in the existing world i just mean that like you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. That commerce is the perversion of all that is beautiful in life. Um, obviously, I go to a job, so I'm not, you know, I don't think it's hypocritical to survive, right? Or to do something that you love and try to, like, get away from doing something you don't love, right? So, like, open a business uh, where you get to use the th- your skills to prop yourself up and also help people as opposed to, like, whatever, slaving away at a insurance company you know, denying claims for people so that they can get thrown off their, uh, you know, so they have to pay their own medical bills. Obviously, uh, I think it would be, it be, it would be buffoonery to tell people that you shouldn't, you know, try to try to get by in this world doing something you like versus something that you hate. It's but more, it's, it's more sad, about the lamentable state of the indictment. world. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's a sad indictment that they have to do that, that they have to turn their passion, their craft and their art into a commodity commodity in order to survive right i think i think this is a tricky conversation because um i think a lot of people in this conversation at least a few people in this conversation are people who are doing something that they like doing or or are going into business for themselves or have that experience in the past and i think that's great right i'm not trying to be like the the Reaganite caricature of a hippie, 
right? Who's like, drop out, man. You like buy stuff. That's like supporting the man, right? Because that's not real. What I mean right. is, <laughs> you know, it, there is a corrosive effect on anything that comes from the heart, that comes from the soul, when it becomes uh, subservient to, as it, as it almost necessarily must, but subservient to, uh, to commerce. Christine, you're someone who is actively making and, and building businesses around your spirituality and your spiritual practices and, and trying to share that with others. Do you feel like that is, um, do you feel the burden of that? Like at some point in, in the process of providing people love advice or divination that you'll, you'll lose the love of it to the, the commerce aspect mm, of it. Okay, so uh, as the eternal op- optimist here, I um, I really am a strong believer that as long as it's from the heart and continues to come from the heart, then, you know, I, I don't think that um, it loses its power. But but that being said, when it comes to art and um, and magic, I think that there's this, like, ancient internal belief that's been passed down through generations that still somehow like affects us um uh especially those of us who are interested in magic and it's this um this idea or the fact that um art back back in the day was used as a form of um communicating magic in a way that would allow people to not get persecuted so alchemists often used art with um symbols of of dragons to represent mercury and um lions to represent sulfur to pass down their formulas uh, to others so they wouldn't Mm -hmm. get persecuted so um to now see magic or even alchemy you know, at Sephora, like that is, it, it just really strikes the wrong chords and we're deep within us. So, um, but that being said, I mean, I, I really hate to see um, something that I love, you know, just get turned into a commodity. But I think that, that the optimist in me sees that those things that I'm trying to teach are becoming more and more accepted um, amongst mm-hmm. the community. And I try to focus on that and I almost like draw power from that. Um, because if I start to just get upset and um, see that as like, if I allow myself to get defeated by that, I think uh, that's only, they're going to win. I'm going to lose my, my power and just give it be one more, you know, person to give their power to them at the end of the day. So, um, so no, I, I see it as, as someone who's, you know, creating brands and businesses in the realms of magic. I see it as a positive thing. What I hope, I hope for me, like, this is what I was saying to Jason earlier about how it's, it's this conversation that I always come back to that I, constantly needs me kind of bummed out is because I think for me, I, re- for me personally, I feel like I recognize that again on a long enough timeline, it, it will get corrupted 
to some degree. But I always think, I think, you know, how many people do you affect positively on the way to that corruption? And in, in, and if that is the case, is it worth the journey of that for how many people you touch, right? So, for example, to use Refused, right? How many bands did Refuse influence or young people to go start their own bands? Um, whether or not they ever became big. I'm not talking about mainstream. I'm just talking about just how many people's lives have been affected or like Propagandi uh, or, or um, Joy Division or the Sex Pistols or you could name numerous bands Sun, Sunny and Cher Drowning Pool uh, Pantera hey, listen, uh, <laughs> the, the Commodores right most importantly what's the band so many of the, uh, Manfred Mann <laughs> um, there's you know Creed. there may be a point where at some at some level even if the artist has the best intention their product is going to get swallowed up by the spectacle so I think that because of how firmly I believe that the the impulse that gives rise to art, which I think is, is a sacred one, it's something that comes from deep within, and it's the same as... Uh, it's connected in all the same ways to, uh, to worship, to ritual, to the experience of the kind of... that encounter with the divine that is in the world, that is, is manifest in nature and in other people and in the self... Um, because I think those things, I think that it, that it is fundamentally at, at odds with commerce. And because I think that it's fundamentally at odds with commerce, I think that commerce has to go. I think that the, that innate drive within human beings to like live fully and embrace all that, it, that there is, you know, it's basically to live an adventurous life, which doesn't mean, you know, bungee jumping, like, like adventure tour packages, but to like, you know. Uh, to become, to explore, you know, to, to explore the, the, all that life has to offer. That's what an adventurous life is. And because I think that's innately human, I think anything that is counter to that is anti-human, that is inhuman. And uh, this is all me leading up to trying to push her a quote. So Guy Debord, who wrote The Society of the Spectacle, said that in a society which has abolished all adventure, you know, by creating things like tourism and vacation packages and, you know, to, to repackage experience as commodity when we used to just have experience full stop. Only adventure left us to abolish that society. Now, do you think that's possible though? I mean, do you think it's feasible that we, that we're able to, um, I, I think that certainly at least most, some of us would believe that society has reached its natural end and, Peak. I, I I frankly feel like society peaked in mid '90s, maybe late '90s if I'm being generous. But certainly since 9/11 onward, I feel like we've been on a very rapidly um, uh, increasing downward trajectory. And um, well, I think there's a, a reason where... why DeBoard shot himself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> His answer is nope. It's too late. And so maybe that's the, and maybe that is in fact you know to, to quote George Carlin or to let me paraphrase George Carlin, you know he he sort of at a certain point opted out and just became an observer, and from his perspective that was really the best position that he could be in. He could be an observer and a commentator from sort of an omniscient third perspective, oh, <laughs> and and you know, and that's really all he was able to contribute at that point in any meaningful manner. 
I don't know. I think as long as we're alive, we're obligated to try. Yeah. So I guess that these been to my next question. And what, what, how can we try to salvage art and make art still feel important? Is it just making it personal? Um, because I, that feels like an outlet, perhaps. Like if you read the lyrics, you know, no matter how big a band gets, but in theory, um, depending on the type of band they are, the lyrics could still be sort of a window to the soul of the of the author. You know, um, is it just staying true to yourself and let happen what happens? You know, to your art, um, be what it is, and 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 never let yourself succumb to that. So long as your own intentions are pure, like I, I or, or you know, again, is it is there a way to use art as a as a sword, as a hammer, if you will, or is it merely at this stage? relegated to personal expression only i think that you can use um art as a sword as long as as long as you're finding that specific form of art or magic that is filling a need of the community i think as long as you're doing that then you can use art if if you kind of i think you'll fail to to use it to use art or magic well if you're not filling any of those gaps and just doing it for yourself but then again you're kind of missing the point of life which is to like help others so that's yeah mm-hmm. that's my take on that I think uh, we, you can use art as a sword but like the other guys they got fucking tanks so you know <laughs> <laughs> but that might be a worthy death Do you know what I'm saying like there may be that may be the point of it all. That maybe that's what's left. Glorious to, to, death. To a glorious, <laughs> amazing, triumphant death. Well, you know, there Swi- there's a swinging wave swinging and wielding the sword that you believe in. There's a number of surrealists who basically did come to that conclusion that the last truly artistic expression possible would be an interesting and glorious death. I think it's Man Ray said I think it's Man Ray. He said that the the ultimate expression of art for a surrealist would be to walk into a crowd with a loaded gun and shoot as many people as possible before shooting yourself. And of course he didn't really do that. He didn't really mean go murder people, but what he meant was We are not advocating that on the show. <laughs> the point here is that like uh obviously he didn't do those things. He lives a long time and he um just makes art and it's interesting. It's actually worth checking out. But the point is he's he's trying to make a commentary on the increasing strictures that he feels even in the nineteen forties um on what is possible for art. In you know, so by the time you get to the '60s, um, art is you know again to to really beat this you know to hit this this to sound this tone too many times. Debord basically stops believing in the possibility of art as we understand it. Um, as for how we try, I don't know, but I think it's a lot like spirituality. I think it's like it's personal. It's hard to talk about. I don't think it should be closed. I think we should embrace people who are genuinely applying themselves to, you know, that ex- that that experience of the deep joy of Eden when you when you happen across a moment of transcendental beauty and then spend the rest of your life trying to reproduce it, which is what the ro- romantics saw as their whole drive in writing poetry was, you know, you see a sunset that's just the right time in your life and you just finally understand something about your place in the world, and then you paint forever trying to reproduce the experience for other people who weren't there. I think that impulse can't go away. I think that's one of the things that makes us who we are as a species. So anybody who's trying, 
I think should be embraced. And anybody who's not trying should be shoved off a cliff. Sorry, not anybody who's not trying, but anybody who's trying to, to cheapen it and take it away. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, I'm not trying to make art. Don't push me off a cliff. <laughs> and again, a me- metaphorical cliff, just like the metaphorical shooting in the crowd. And right. Don't, do th- don't kill anyone, please. Don't, don't shoot anyone. Don't push anyone off a cliff. Just be cool, man. <clears throat> I think then part of it is, is as well is that there's three parts to any art. And it's the art, the artist, and the audience. And you can try as you might to say something but it's 100 percent going to come down to societal acceptance and interpretation so i mean you know if you just take film for example you have a movie like what was that movie called parasite right so some people might watch that movie go that was a great film i really enjoyed that whereas someone else might watch it and be like oh i really understood what they were trying to say about you know the the great divide between you know, it's it's. it's I, I was literally on a podcast with a co-host who didn't think it was had a biting commentary on capitalism. Right. So to illustrate my point, you know, it's you know, oftentimes it's not even so much what the artist is trying to say. It's will the audience listen or pay attention. So trying to say something through art is only half. If it's even a half. Right. How many how many people grew up listening to Rage Against the Machine and didn't come out the other side committed communists? None of them because did. literally zero because people. The, <laughs> because because that number, in the, uh, that's the number the of people chat. who misunderstood the point. Yeah. Okay, so and, case in point, did anyone right? see that video of those Trumpers that were, were refusing to wear masks? Um, dancing around to killing in the name. Yes, that's like, fucking video. Do you know rules. what that song is about? <laughs> no, well, no and, one does. And that's and that's kind of uh, that's kind of the point, isn't it? It's like try your damnedest and be as clear as possible. You know, they they have the music videos have you know kids in red, with red and black flags and masks fighting cops. Their lyrics are about Mumia Abu Jamal and the Zapatistas and you know NAFTA as like the great enemy of the people and like, you know, Bill Clinton, George Bush as personifications of, of like, you know, the, the worst of human, of what humanity has to offer. And it's just cool music, man. I just, I like how it sounds. Got a good beat. It's like Limp Bizkit, but with like more guitars. So like, okay, that's, that's, (laughs) I just mean, that's, that's the way a lot of people, that's the way a lot of people remember it. Yeah. You're not wrong. So a lot of people just thought of it as a, a, an, another facet of new metal or, or rap rock or whatever. And they completely missed whatever point was attempted to be made. Well, that and thing on Twitter recently where someone was like, when the fuck did rage against the machine get political? Oh yeah. yeah. I saw that. They were like, Oh, way to make it political. Which is SJW sellouts. And it's like, wow. Have you been fucking listening? Well, the point is, I think that they have been, I just don't think that they care and you can't make people care. It's kind of like how I listen to the Smiths and, and I wouldn't vote for Morrissey for president because he's kind of a bigot. But like, I don't care that Morrissey's kind of a bigot because I like the Smiths. It works both ways, you know, because right, I actually right. don't think it's, it's a super effective hammer uh, to wield or a sword as the metaphor was used earlier. Not at that level anyways. Now, among the four of us, among uh, a, a, a tight knit community of people, I think it can be a very effective uh, way of I mean, helping all uplift of Mexico. people. What? All uh, of Mexico what? He's t- the Smiths. Oh, oh, I thought you were he's, he's, <laughs> Right. So I, I think that the individual projects 
uh, you know, collective or, or, or individual uh, within a community of people that like genuinely have the capacity and desire to lift each other up. Those art projects, the spiritual practices, and the way that those two relate, I think that they can, and I think that they should be utilized as a tool. But I think at the level of the commodity, you know, all that is solid melts into, into air for a reason. I think that what the commodity form is, is the destruction of all meaning. And maybe maybe it's worth knowing where that line is and when you cross it as refused at one point you whether they know whether they whether they knew uh, 12 years later, neither here nor there. It feels like there's certainly a point in which you recognize the corruption of what you're trying to do. And you either make the judgment call as to whether it's it's still OK to move forward or because you're you're still impacting enough people that it makes it worthwhile or maybe it's time to walk away entirely. You know, I think that it, it cannot, for my, within my personal life, it cannot be understated the impact that like a Walt Whitman or Hemingway or, uh, shoot, you know, again, Propagandi or Rancid or, um, you know, in the world of spirituality, Crowley or Eccles or any of these folks who put up books and albums and movies and things of this nature commodities right that profound impact on my life and the shaping of me as an adult and as a person and and i don't want to wash that away because you know just because you can pick up jack kerouac's you know an on the road t-shirt at zara or sephora or h&m right just because at some uh, point it faces on corruption the road t-shirt at sephora <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm sure they sell that now. So you used to work there. Yeah, it was a long time ago. On the road. Well, whatever. This is a this is a matter of stylistic difference. Uh, you know the the people who want to ruin art, they can have on the road, man. <laughs> I like that book, but then nevertheless, I, I think that regardless of the outcome of your output, to to Jess's point, that it's it's the art, the artists, and the audience, and you have no control, really and truthfully over how the audience perceives your art and some of it probably the vast majority of it certainly in the age of social media is going to get rapidly and and brilliantly corrupted and um become plastic art you know pop art but you'll still have some that are deeply impacted in that i think as long as you can keep you can keep sight of that intention that may be the best that we can hope for at this point and and you know what? When we were young, I mean, I feel like we used to make fun of the punkers that were like punker than thou, you know, that hated bands that got mainstream. Maybe they were right. In the end, maybe they just knew more than us. Maybe that the bigger you get, the further and further away you'll get from the core of what your art was intended to be. I don't know. Maybe. I think history moves in weird ways. And maybe right now all we can be is the English romantics sitting around writing poems about how we wished Napoleon would invade. But maybe at another point in history, Napoleon will invade and we'll get everything we asked for, you know? The modern-day Napoleon is an EMP. We might just be living in the doldrums. Maybe we're consigned to uh, a role in history of just mounting a holding operation and and keeping something together until more optimal times. you know, as Christine said, you know, there's a lot of thinking about the people who pay attention to the stars that uh, that there is another 
phase of human development, which is going to be much more favorable to uh, all of the things which we're being hopeful about right now. And maybe our role is merely to be the the manure of history, waiting for the plowman to come and, you know, do something with it. Well, we're in early stages, right? You know, as we move into this age of Horus or this age of Aquarius, uh, we, we know, you know, within the understanding of civilizations, we went from a civilizations or we went, there were many civilizations that believed in the many gods to the civilizations that believed in the one god, the sky zaddy, as we like to call it here on this podcast. I don't like to call it that. You do in secret. Uh, I will never to, say those to, words. Through a civilization that believed that um, God existed as man to moving into a, an age where we, sh- you know, depending on your point of view, my personal point of view, we should start understanding that man is God and that we are part of this greater celestial environment that we're that we're very much made of the same the same material the same atoms the same makeup as the brilliance that we see in the sky at night and and as we come into that understanding like any phase of life i.e puberty for example um as we come to that deeper understanding there's going to be tribulation that occurs and uh, we're in that state the doldrums if you will you know as you said jason and this is where we're at in this early stage setting the groundwork for hopefully the coming generations to embrace the idea that we are our own god we are our own vehicle of enchantment and magic in this society and that we are empowered to make it what we to craft it and shape it in whatever manner we see fit. It's either that or we're all going to drown in a nuclear sea. One of the two things is going to happen. Oh, yeah. And if that happens, thank you guys for listening to the <laughs> Culture Shock podcast. For uh, Chris, Jason, Christine, and Jess slash Ophelia, and myself, Dave, I want to thank you all for listening. We want to empower you and encourage you to grab that sword and charge into battle if for no other reason, to lead a memorable and exciting death doing what you love. Until next week, adios. Mm-hmm.